0: Usually what we're referring to when we talk about Scripture being inspired is its accuracy, like it's right, it's true. And that, that's true, Scripture is accurate and it's right, but it, it's more than that. When we talk about Scripture being inspired, I think we should mean more than that. We should mean that the Spirit of God has given this author wisdom and understanding, insight, enlightenment, even creativity, So as we read through these words of John, I want us to pay attention to how the Spirit of God is giving him wisdom and insight, enlightenment, understanding, and creativity as he expresses to us who Jesus is and what Jesus is all about. So John chapter one in verse one, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Let's kind of explore that for just a few minutes this morning. Let's think about those first three words because opening lines are important, aren't they? Opening lines are important. And what's the opening line to John's gospel account? What's the first three words? In the Beginning. Now we know that opening line, don't we? In the beginning, when we we read that opening line, what other opening line? What other book does that remind us of? Genesis, right? It's a it's a bold thing to borrow an opening line of an older story to tell your story. To take that line and borrow it and then use that as the opening line for your story is a bold thing. When you read opening lines, it automatically takes you back to that that document or that story or that idea. When you hear lines like this, what do you think of? We hold these truths to be self-evident. Think about the Declaration of Independence, right? So when you read, we hold these truths to be self-evident, if somebody borrowed that opening line for their own Political statement, you'd say, "Why? what statement are you trying to make by borrowing that? Or, we the people of the United States, opening line of the Constitution. Or, four score and seven years ago, the Gettysburg Address. Or, my personal favorite, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. (laughs) Opening lines are so incredibly important. And it's a bold thing to borrow an opening line because you're automatically making a claim about the the story you're telling, your own story, and saying, this is somehow tied to that. I'm rewriting or I'm adding to or I'm tying, I'm piggybacking on that earlier story. So what is it that, that John is saying about the story of Jesus that ties back to the Genesis story and the creation story? Well, he tells us, doesn't he? He tells us that Jesus is the creator, that Jesus is the one by whom all things were made and that there's nothing made that Jesus didn't make because Jesus is the creator So not only is he taking us back to the original Genesis story, but he's also, if we pay close close attention, we'll see he's also pointing us forward to a new creation. He's saying not only that Jesus is the creator that created all things, but that Jesus is bringing about a new creation through his work. I mean, think back to the original Genesis story, right? Go back all the way in your brain and, and think, about, think about what the world was like in the beginning. What does, what does Genesis say that the world was like? The world was formless and void, right? It was, it was uninhabited. There was no life. And what was it that was over the surface of the deep? You remember? Darkness, right? So the world was lifeless and dark. The world was lifeless and dark. And then the creator said, let there be what? Light. And God spoke light into existence. And then he created all kind of life to inhabit this world. The living creatures on the ground and in the sea and in the air. And then the pinnacle of his creation, human beings. The creator brought light and life into the world. And John is saying something about a dark and lifeless world, isn't he? He's saying that the created world has once again become dark and lifeless and that the creator is doing something new. Look at what he says in John chapter 1 and verse verse 4. He says, In him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then look at what he says in verses 12 and 13. He says, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood though, and nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And if we keep following this story throughout what John is telling us, in, in chapter three, Jesus will say that he's bringing about a a rebirth, being born again by the water and the spirit. So he's, he's bringing about new creation in a world that once again is dark and lifeless. The creator is bringing light and life to the world. He's causing people to be born again, not born of, of a human relationship but born of God so that they can go into the world and be children of God. Jesus will say later, sons of light. Do you remember near the end of the gospel account, one of the final things that Jesus does before he he goes to be once again with the Father, he, he breathes on his apostles. Do you remember that? He breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Does that remind you of the Genesis account? Isn't that what God did with Adam? He breathed into his nostrils life, spirit, and Adam became a living being. Do you see, that's what John is saying, that not only is Jesus the creator, who by him everything was made and, and nothing that has made was made without him, but he's saying that Jesus is bringing about a new creation. And Isn't that what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5? He says, if anybody is in Christ, they are a new creation. So that these followers of Jesus, who receive him and are born again because of him, they go out into the world to be a little bit of the new creation in his name. And then John says something interesting. He says, in the beginning was the, what? The word. Now, that's an interesting way to describe Jesus, isn't it? The word Let's think about words that you speak, okay? And I know when you speak a word, and when I say a word, I don't necessarily mean, you know, like five letters or six letters. I mean an idea or a thought. When you you communicate something, whether you're communicating to your spouse or to your neighbor or you're driving on the tollway and you communicate something, you know, whatever it is that comes out of your mouth, I know it's invisible and it's intangible, but picture it, if you can, picture it as something visible, Something that just kind of hangs out there. Or it goes and it does something. Because that's what words do, don't they? They affect people. They touch people maybe positively or negatively. They go and they do kind of things. But but listen, if somebody brought your word back to you, maybe a day later or a week later or a month later or years later, and said, hey, do you do you remember speaking this word into existence? Do you, do you remember this word that you said? Have you ever had the feeling where you think, man, I really wish I hadn't said that. I'm incredibly embarrassed about that word. Or or maybe you could say about that word, you could say, well, listen, at one time that word was true of me, and it was an accurate representation of who I was, but I've changed since then, and I'm not that person anymore, so that word doesn't really reflect me anymore, or maybe that word was a promise, and you said, I'm going to do this. This is so important to me, and you promised something. But then your priorities kind of shifted, and you became a different person, and that promise just never came to fruition. And so it was just kind of empty and hollow. Or maybe you said something that was just downright a lie. See, the, the holy thing about God, one of the holy, otherly things about God is that those things are never true about his words. The word that he speaks is so much different than that. God's word always does what he intends for it to do. God's word is always powerful. It's always effective. And if you kind of picture God's word as this kind of thing that proceeds from heaven and goes to earth and does what. God wants it to do. And if you held it up to God a decade later or a hundred years later or a thousand years later, it would still be an accurate representation of who God is and what God is all about. So the prophets could write things like this, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Forever. Or in Isaiah chapter 55, starting in verse 10, it says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be. See, when, when rain comes down from the sky, it never, like, gets halfway down and then says, oh, never mind, and then it goes, it, it comes down, and it does what it's supposed to do. It doesn't get down to the ground and, like, bounce off and be like, oops, sorry, I missed. I mean, it, it, it soaks in, and it does what it's supposed to do. And God says, that's the way my word is. When I make a promise or a command, when a truth comes forth out of heaven it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. See, God's word was so powerful and true, always true and always reflected of his, reflective of his character that it could be spoken of as God. So like when the word would come, I think about Jonah chapter one, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Jonah. And then it says that Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. So to be in the presence of the word is to be in the presence of the Lord. The word of God is so true and powerful and reflective of his character and his nature that they could speak of it as God. When the word of God went and accomplished something, God accomplished that thing. So it was both God and distinct from God. And it proceeded from heaven to accomplish God's will. And it perfectly represented his character and his will. And that's why John says, the word was with God and it was God. And then he says, verse 14, you know this passage, don't you? Verse 14, he says, and the word became what? Flesh. The word became a human being. Oh, God's word had come to prophets over the years, but now... It had come to John, the baptizer, and John had testified about the word, about the light, but he wasn't the word. He wasn't the light. The word had come to Moses, and Moses had received and given the law, but Moses wasn't the word. Jesus. Jesus is the one who is the word of God, become human, and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John is saying, Jesus is God's word embodied. Jesus is God's glory embodied. Jesus is God's grace embodied. Jesus is God's truth embodied. Other prophets and other men of God have pointed to this truth And this glory and this grace and this revelation, but Jesus is the word and the truth and the glory and the grace of God come to life, embodied as a human being, so much so that John can make this incredibly bold claim. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God. Not just not laid eyes on him, but nobody's ever really known God. Nobody's ever really seen God. I know in the past, the patriarchs and the prophets and Moses and Noah and all those people, Abraham, I mean, they knew some things about God, but none of them had really seen God. But the only God who's at the Father's side, he has made him known. And let that sink in for a second. Jesus makes God known. Known to us. Listen to the way the New Living Translation puts it. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Jesus has revealed God to us. God, listen to what John is saying, and it's incredibly bold. He's saying that God is exactly like Jesus of Nazareth. I know that every single person, every single human, we've all drawn conclusions about what must God be like. And John says, he's exactly like Jesus. And this message is as relevant for us as it was for them. See, because there's a lot of people that draw the conclusion, maybe they had a father, an earthly father, who was cruel, demanding, maybe distant or unloving, And they sort of drawn the conclusion over the years that God must be like him. And John says, no. God is exactly like Jesus. You want to know what God is like? The God that's way up there and that's holy and transcendent. You want to know what he's like? He's exactly like Jesus. That's amazing, isn't it? The the Jesus who went to a wedding... And the family ran out of wine to serve. And they were going to be ashamed and humiliated. And Jesus made sure they had the best. John is saying God is exactly like that. The Jesus who was busy and had lots of people to see and lots of people to teach and all kinds of things going on. All kinds of people to see. And there were mothers with little babies. And other people would say, no, 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 he doesn't have time for them. Jesus says, no, let him sit on my lap. And John is saying, God is exactly like that. When Jesus went and he sat at a well and talked with a Samaritan woman, reaching across racial and ethnic boundaries and walls and breaking them down and loving her and talking with her, John is saying, God is exactly like that. When Jesus went into the temple and he found thieves that were robbing people blind, he turned over their table and he ran them out of town that. Jesus healed the blind and the lame and the deaf. He fed the hungry. And John is saying, God is exactly like that. Jesus wrapped a towel around himself and took a bowl of water and he washed his apostles' feet. And John is saying, God is exactly like that. Jesus selflessly and lovingly gave himself as a ransom for many. And John is saying, God is exactly like that. No matter what you thought about God, no matter what little bits and pieces you've gathered over the years, whether through scripture and stories or your own personal experiences, the claim of the gospel is God is exactly like Jesus of Nazareth. So let's reflect on that for a second. Let's ask ourselves some questions. Number one, do you believe that God is and has always been exactly like Jesus of Nazareth? You know, when I was a kid and I went to Bible classes and I heard sermons and people tried to teach me what God is exactly like. They would pick stories and kind of grab them out of context and give them to me and say, God is exactly like that. Oftentimes they were God striking somebody dead, you know? And say, God is exactly like that. don't get me wrong. Those are important stories. But they have to be understood in the context of the story they were telling. The book in which you find them. If you want a systematic theology, if you want to understand what is God exactly like, if you want something you can grab onto and hold onto and put in your heart and carry with you day in and day out, it's that God is exactly like Jesus of Nazareth. The question is, do you believe that? Number two, do you believe that he is about the work of new creation? Do you believe that he is making all things new? That he is causing people to be reborn by the water and the Spirit? And that he's changing the darkness into light. And then just as importantly, number three, can that newness be seen in you? That you're different for having met Jesus of Nazareth. That he's changed you. And he's made you a little bit of the new creation. And that the old things are passing away and the new things are coming true in you. So all year this year, our theme is moment of truth. And I want to have a, a sort of moment of truth moment at the end of every lesson. And let's kind of wrestle with this. and something to grab onto and take hold. So here's my moment of truth question for all of us. What new thing would you do this week if you really believe that God is exactly like Jesus of Nazareth? You might say, well, they would change the way I pray. You know, I'd pray different if I really believed in my heart of hearts, my mind of mind, if I really believe that God is exactly like Jesus, I would pray differently. Maybe you say, well, if I knew that God was exactly like Jesus of Nazareth, I would, I would study the Bible differently. I would pour myself into these accounts of who Jesus is. I'd want to know everything there is to know about Jesus. If Jesus is the perfect representation of his father, then I would want to know everything there is to know about Jesus. And I hope those things are true in us this week. Let me give you something else to think about. As you read through the Gospel of John, the one word that sort of comes to the surface is love. I believe when you read this account, you come away with the idea that if you believe that God really is exactly like Jesus of Nazareth, then you would make love your highest priority. If you believe that God is exactly like Jesus, then you make love your highest priority. Now, what does that look like in your life I don't know. Maybe there's a relationship in your life that's broken or festering. Maybe there's bitterness and resentment and it needs to be replaced with forgiveness and mercy and grace and reconciliation. If you believe that God is exactly like Jesus, then you would make love the highest priority. If you believe that God is exactly like Jesus, then then this, this, this oneness, this, one anotherness, this togetherness becomes the highest priority. And you make your brothers and sisters in Christ your highest priority because you really believe that God is exactly like Jesus of Nazareth. Maybe there's somebody in your world, in, in your workplace, in your school that you've never reached out to and you've never talked to and you know you should. If you knew God was exactly like Jesus, maybe that would cause you to reach out to them this week. Let's live out this truth that Jesus is the creator, that he is bringing about new creation in us, and that Jesus is the perfect representation of his father. God is exactly like Jesus. So let's go out into the world this week and live that out. And maybe before we go, if there's somebody here this morning and you've not been born again by the water and the spirit or you just need prayers or encouragement, let us show you that love for God and for you is our highest priority. If we can help you this morning, come forward as we stand and sing.